Hello, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I am talking with the designer, educator, and my friend, Tim Balonix. Tim is currently the senior brand designer at Pinterest and teaches in the graphic design department at California College of the Arts in San Francisco. He previously was a designer at Airbnb, Mine, and in Facebook's Analog Research Lab. Tim and I met while we both worked at Facebook, and I was really struck by his thoughtfulness and the intellectual rigor that he put into his work. And we've been having conversations about design and writing and teaching and criticism and all the things I talk about on this podcast for a few years now. But this is the first time that we actually put a microphone between us. And in this conversation, we talk about Tim's background and his interest in design, how he started teaching and how to encourage and incorporate thoughtful critique into in-house design teams. I don't talk to many designers who are working in-house at larger companies, and I've been really interested in how you can make space for criticism within a company like that. And I think Tim's done a really good job of that, and I think his career as both a designer in the tech industry and as a design educator really gives him a a sort of unique perspective that I really enjoyed and and feel like I learned a lot from. Remember, if you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year to receive an exclusive monthly newsletter with additional content and episode previews. Memberships really help keep the podcast going, and I just really appreciate all of your support and hope that you enjoy this conversation with my friend, Tim Balonix. I was thinking of I was thinking about this conversation, kind of what I wanted to talk to you about, and um, kind of why I thought that you would be an interesting guest. And as I was imagining the things we talked about, we we would talk about, I realized that even though we've known each other for a pretty long time, I don't actually know anything about your background. <laughs> um, I have no idea how you got into any of this, and mm-hmm. so just to to kind of maybe frame all of this, I thought we could go back and talk about some of that a little bit. Um, Where did your interest in design come from? Did you always want to be a designer? So I think that I had design, I should say that I had design tendencies and did not know what design was. Mm -hmm. Like many, uh, many people I think have, have have recounted of their own childhood on your show, I think. Uh, I grew up drawing a lot. I would illustrate and make small books of the like bedtime stories that, that my parents would tell to me. Um, you know, and then that led to, you know, drawing my own type and any sort of assignment in school, I would try to illustrate something around it. Um, and I was just sort of encouraged both in school and, and outside of school, like, you know, oh, nice drawing. And so I just kept on, kept doing that um, and just sort of followed that path. And that, I think, actually really helped me get through school. I was a decent student, but that made it even more enjoyable. And then uh, I slowly, I'm trying to remember, like, when did I actually discover, like, oh, there's a thing called design. That was, uh, <laughs> that was my next question. I was curious yeah. when that kind of came together, what, you realized this was a thing. What more importantly, what came first was I was really lucky to get a 
tour of Pixar Studios when I was uh, maybe 15 or 16. Oh, okay. Are you, um, wait, so are you from, did you grow up in Northern California? Yeah, I grew up in Northern California. Yeah. Oh, I, I, see, I didn't know that either. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Martinez and then Danville. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Um, but that, so that came through a, a friend of my dad's, um, Mr. Murphy. And that was the first time that I learned that, oh, you could make a living drawing, you know, mm-hmm. literally seeing these animations come to life and, and all of those things. So more importantly, I think it also sort of proved to my parents that like, oh, you know, people can, <laughs> right. I think it's almost more important in that sense of like getting that support, I think is uh, yeah. something that, that I, I've learned over the years, like not everyone has, and I'm super uh, fortunate and privileged to have that. So that came, and then I think uh, I think I started to, to take some summer courses um, while I was still in high school, and I did okay. like illust- illustration and animation and and graphic design and at that point I was like okay this is what these things are but I'm not quite sure what I what I want to do specifically I wasn't ready to like sort of stake my claim yet and uh, one of the reasons I, I chose RISD out of many other ones um, and the fact that it's just an awesome school uh, is that I could I didn't have to sort of say what my major was right up front oh, okay. uh, I could go I could go through the foundation year I think I think they give you the first or when I was in it they gave you the first semester mm-hmm. um, and through that I, I think I was like oh no I'm, I'm definitely on the design side of things and what was it what was that what was it about the design side of things that you were like oh this is me this is what I want to do and and not yeah. not something like painting or illustrating or something like that yeah I mean I mean one of the things about uh, I feel like art school uh, is is a a collection of all of the kids that were like their lone artist in high school <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. a way yeah and and when I when I got there I was like this is amazing but like I am I'm not as good a painter as so-and-so and I, and I don't feel as like passionate about that. But with design, I felt like there was more of a focus on ideas and experimentation. And uh, I think I was just more invested in, in the content as well. Like one of the things that I also wanted to focus on in school was like a rigorous academic background. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I felt like both the school, but also that this kind of profession would also sort of uh, help me in that way. So I have two que- I have two questions around that that are kind of almost opposite ends of that question or opposite ends of that answer. Um, what was it about this rigorous academic education? Kind of what were you looking for in that, or why was that something that was important to you? I think it, like I mentioned before, I I was a, a decent student uh, and. I knew that I, I don't know, I, I just sort of gravitated towards that way of learning and that way of thinking, I guess. Um, okay. I, I minored in English while I was also uh, at RISD. And so like, oh. like, like writing and I felt like writing was a, was a core component of design. I think that's also another reason why I chose that, that major mm-hmm. um, is that I felt like there was some sort of power, some sort of draw in that. And so I felt really compelled towards that. I, I tend to really enjoy ideas that you have to like mull over in your head and think <laughs> left, think upside down and backwards. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, I just find that uh, really engaging. Yeah. I, I, Cause the reason I asked it actually, and that, and that 
answer kind of sets up the second part of the question that I was thinking about when you were talking about this is something I've been something I've been thinking about a lot and something that I've been kind of fascinated by and asking more of the people I talk to in these interviews is kind of that early design when you're in that early design education kind of how aware of what a graphic designer does like how 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 aware of you how aware of what they do wait <laughs> how aware was i of what a graphic designer actually does yes thank you yeah. um yeah. because cuz i've been it's just something i've been kind of reflecting on in my own background and my own education and how how much that kind of ideal graphic designer you know that job has evolved uh in my time from undergrad uh, and so what was that like for you? For me, I did a variety of internships. Um, okay. So before I even, uh, um, I think before I even started college, I was lucky enough to land two internships. One was at, one was doing like pre-press work on Illustrator <laughs> for Silkscreener. Yeah. Uh, which at the time, believe it or not, like I love Silkscreen now and I had no idea back Back then right. <laughs> and so I was right. more I was more interested in like oh they're paying me to like use illustrator cool mm-hmm. I'll do mm-hmm. that um, and then the other was l- literally at a local graphic design shop in Danville which is okay uh, if someone told me that something like that existed now I'd be like that's that doesn't exist how is that possible yeah. Danville's a very small town um, so so I, I had that and then what else did I have? I interned at a like a movie poster shop and then I oh, wow. also interned at uh, Primo Angeli Fitch, which is I don't believe that's necessarily around anymore, but it was a, a really renowned uh, packaging uh, design studio. And then what else did I do? And then oh, then the, the last um, sort of internship or fellowship was at Chronicle Books. And that's what really brought me out uh or I, my plan was always to come back to the West Coast, but that was a a, a nice soft landing um, to come to that. Okay, okay. So while you were in school, you were you actually kind of had a really good in the field experience in addition to the things you were learning in in your classes. I was I was able to uh, see a bit of a gamut and understand like oh, doing working with these kinds of clients or, or seeing how someone might bring in work in this context was a little bit different than this context. I, I think I did all right, but still, yeah. I think as a student, I think there were many things I was still very, very clueless about. <laughs> right, right, yeah, of course. Um, as, as one student, I guess as a student. <laughs> so did you go, so was it from Chronicle? Did you go right to Facebook after that? No, so I uh, after Chronicle, uh, I was lucky enough to join Christopher Simmons at uh, his studio, Mine. He had he had started a few months before. Um, I reached out to him, and I had reached out to the studio that he was at when I was looking for internships, like a, a semester or two before, when he was at Alterpop. And I think he remembered me, and at the time he was working on um, on a book, and so I started off freelancing for him, and then uh, I wouldn't leave and so the entire <laughs> right. okay so so like the first five years or so of your career were was in a studio environment or a, a kind of agency yeah. environment because one of the things that i was really interested in in talking to you about that i think makes you different than most of the people that i talk to is that the majority of your career 
I guess, aside from those first kind of five years has been in-house, uh, uh, which is a, a little bit different, I think, than a lot of the other people that I talk to. And mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about, you know, this podcast being about this kind of relationship between criticism and practice or how kind of theory or kind of self-reflexivity can kind of play out in work. And I don't talk a lot of, with a lot of people who are doing that kind of work in larger companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I kind of want to, I have a, I have a series of questions kind of around that, that I would, I would love to talk to you about, but I'm, I'm kind of interested first in that switch from going from a studio to, to working in house. Um, and was that, was that something that you were kind of, was that a conscious decision or did you, did you know that this was going to be a different type of work? I definitely knew that it was going to be a different type of work. If uh, you had asked me, you know, I was still working with Christopher, if I would ever go in-house at that time, the in-house teams were not what they are now. You know, there were few and far, uh, you know, in-house teams that had a really strong uh, design practice or at least valued it, you know, and I think I was lucky at like Chronicle as a, as a fellow, like they, they definitely value it. And there were, you know, a few, like fewer other places, but around the time that I started to consider in-house, like that was sort of the beginning of the boom of what I think of in-house design as right now, or at least on the, on the West coast. Um, what year was that about? That was around, 20 i want to say 2011 so okay, yeah, uh, it happened yeah it, it actually i was at i was at CalArts. um i had finished a year of my mfa there and oh, right. uh i was doing uh summer work for for facebook at the time okay and then um you know that that worked and didn't stop okay. all right so so let's um let, let's backtrack for a second um because mm-hmm. I, I i would like to talk about cal arts just just a bit what what was it why do you want to get a go back to school I'd always wanted to teach. I wanted to focus more on writing. I wanted to grow more of that, uh, you know, that kind of practice um, to be okay. able to to work, to teach, to you know, uh, I'm I'm not a prolific writer like some of your other guests. I, I strive to be, but it's uh, it, it's a tough one. Yeah. Um, and so it was really about trying to make that change. Uh, I I knew that I definitely couldn't do that. Um, uh, like Christopher's stu- studio was great, but it was literally the two of us and an intern, like almost always. Yeah, um, yeah. and, and it was, that was on purpose and, and we really liked that, but I needed to sort of grow and challenge outside of that. And CalArts has this great, great history of, of, of teaching other designers to be great teachers. Also, there's a great history of, of, of writing, um, going yeah. on and experimentation, which they still have. So, yeah. uh, it, it seemed, seemed right. And so you were you were there while you were freelancing at Facebook. I was so during between my first year and what would have been my second year. <laughs> right. Um, that summer, I was uh, freelancing for them. Yeah. Do Do you ever think about if you would have finished? Is that Do you feel like you missed oh, out on uh, the second year? So. Yes and no. I think one of the things uh, when I was thinking about it was like. I was also lucky enough to share a studio with Ed Fella as like, oh, wow. you know, certain, like, like certain, they're, they're, they're like two pods for, for the MFA students. And one of them has uh, Ed Fella's studio in it. And 
like FL is the ultimate exit level graphic designer. He's, mm-hmm. he's someone that went back later and like did yeah. it up. Yeah. And so there's that. Plus when I decided to uh, move over to Facebook, like I also learned a ton of other people also left, you know, their own MBAs and doctorate programs and like a lot of other people paused or stopped going to those things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I do think about from time to time, maybe I will, maybe I, maybe I won't. I mean, I knock on wood, I feel pretty lucky that now I've been teaching for almost five years at CCA and teaching was one of my goals. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, it's all, I think what you want out of it. I think I probably could have, uh, there are definitely things that I, uh, and really sad that I missed, like the second year I was supposed to TA for Mr. Keaty. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, and like that, I mean, that's, you know, that that would have been pretty epic. Um, yeah. So, there, but, but plus like a variety of other things. So it was it was by no means an easy choice, and uh, I definitely think about it from time to time, but I also don't sort of kick myself yeah. over it either. So. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, that's kind of what I thought you were going to say to be to be honest because you have even without kind of finishing I feel like you have built that type of career that you went back to school for where you are um you know like you said maybe you're not writing as much as you'd like but you're you're teaching and kind of working on these side projects and have a design practice and those reasons are the same reasons that that I went back to school also and you know you seemed like you you were able to still kind of do it anyway um but it it does make me curious and i imagine that it was a hard decision but did you see facebook as a place where you could maybe do those things or or did it seem like a um well i'll just set this this other stuff that i want to do to the side for a while you know what i you know what i mean yeah yeah i absolutely know and it absolutely was so it absolutely was what i thought it would be or what i thought Mm -hmm. i could make out of it um because at the time that I was there, or, or or when I was at least initially freelancing, like it felt like a school. You know, mm-hmm. uh, people were up late, super passionate. The um, uh, the analog research lab was uh, had had sort of just started, and even as a freelancer, I was in there like printing up posters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in fact, like one of the small things I did was that I actually like signed the poster like designed by guest designer mm. uh, as like a little nod of like hey I'm just freelancing here yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe you'll hire me later and that worked out a little too well I guess because I, it's you know it's like you said earlier that that moment seems like a big there was a big sea change in what in-house design was kind of how in-house design was perceived and and i think at the time facebook especially and i think google to an extent also if i'm i'm remembering right there was this like six month time where those two companies just hired basically every designer it seemed like it seems like you know there was another week where where uh this you know big name designer announced that they were going to to facebook or google um and they, I, we don't really see that much anymore, but there's definitely that era. There was like 2011 to 2013 or so, um, yeah. which I guess is when um, you kind of caught the beginning of that and, and I caught the end of it, actually, actually now that I think about this. Um, I, but going back to this idea of working in-house and especially working in-house at a company like Facebook or just in, in 
tech in general. Something I've been thinking about a lot that I'm curious your thoughts on is this this idea of kind of bringing in uh, a deeper design criticism or thinking about your work um, in kind of a larger critical context and that the sometimes tension of that with the fast-paced environment of that that these companies can have and on one side it feels like that makes that kind of work harder but then on the other side i feel like it actually makes it easier because it isn't just a client where something's done and then you move on there's this it's it's a you know infinite engagement in a sense mm-hmm. uh, and i'm curious kind of what you think about that or how you approach your work in these companies because you're someone that i i think really does you know even going back to to when you're talking about RISD and wanting this kind of rigorous academic career i feel like you bring that to your work at facebook or at pinterest and how, how do you think about that I think about it in a few ways. I think one of the most prominent ones is something that I learned while I was in Project M, um, which is a, a, a design yeah. uh, initiative led by John Bielenberg. Um, but I remember being on a on a walk, um, and I think it was it might have been Brian Collins uh, who was visiting at the time, and he was describing something called problem seeking. Oh yeah. Um, and I and I'm I think I'm. I, I get a sense that you are tired of designers calling themselves problem solvers. <laughs> I know that I am. Yeah, um, yeah. But but the idea of problem seeking, I think, is much more interesting, and I yeah. and I think much more aligned um, with how I like to practice uh, design, especially as someone in house. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that has always been quite a big drive for me. Um, it, it's definitely something that I, that I was able to practice uh, at Facebook early on, especially through the analog research lab. Um, that right. felt yeah. like it was almost like institutional critique in a way, um, how you could make these things and, and a client necessarily wasn't uh, asking for it. Um, you were just sort of observing and reflecting. Um, and I've tried to sort of carry that through in, in projects big and small. Um, one of the projects, uh, that we launched right as I, right as I left was for, um, for F8 at the moment, we did a, a museum of, uh, it was called the museum of reincarnated uh, technology. I it remember was, uh, this. Yeah. And it was all old tech and it was my, my favorite piece was a, a zine that, that Jez Burroughs made, uh, which it, it was, the uh, announcements of you know startups, and then at the front of the zine and the back of the zine, you'd you'd see the date, and it was like so and so has had to you know uh, uh, shut down, and and it goes from like oh this epic startup you know in, in the beginning of of January, and then in December like six months later it's like totally closed down. Yeah, and it was just supposed to be this like uh, like a memento mori for tech companies in a way. Um, and it was like, I was like, I couldn't believe they, I still can't believe that they let us sort of into the big show that F8 is with that, but it was hilarious. And so things like that, uh, that are sort of big and small, I've tried to uh, continue that kind of practice and that kind of looking. Um, and then that extends to, you know, the, 
Uh, I think right now there's a, a big focus on uh, critique inside design teams and criticism and how that comes into play. And so, you know, that's another way of, of trying to practice and lead. And how, how do you, you know, obviously you don't have to go into specifics of, of your team and, and projects that you're working on, but how does that actually kind of play out in the, um, in the like day-to-day work? And I'm asking this question purely selfishly because I also spent the first six years of my career in-house and feel like if I would do that, if I could do that again, I would do it completely different. And so many of the kind of frustrations that I had at the time, um, it's one of those things where it's like when you get your next job, you realize all the things you could have done on the previous job better. Um, and, and you're someone that I've always thought of as who's been able to do the in-house thing better than I could. Um, so, so how does that kind of critique within the team play out actually in the work or in the, in the work environment? Mm-hmm. It's always, I feel like it's always, uh, morphing and trying to improve, which I think is one of the things that I enjoy about, uh, about tech is, is that it's, it's taking in feedback and reassessing and taking in feedback and reassessing. Um, for us right now, uh, it takes the form of two, uh, two critiques, uh, just sort of like standups, um, they're about an hour long and we try to keep them casual. Um, you know, it's like bring your coffee. Uh, we usually do it either on like large pieces of foam core or if it is oh, wow. like video yeah. or motion, we'll just pop into um, a room that we have nearby and we'll just sort of talk through it and try and keep it really casual. Mm-hmm. We have other review processes with higher with people higher up for like actual approval before something gets, uh, you know, made or tossed out into the world. Um, and then we try and uh, keep it sort of, uh, like I said, more, more casual or always ongoing. So we've got a, a product called wake. Um, whereas it's kind of like Pinterest in a way where you, it, it's a grid of images and you can toss up images and, and tag things and say, Hey, like, I'm, I'm not sure about what's going on here. And I can tag right. certain parts of it and ask for feedback. Um, just sort of getting visibility. I think one of the the hard things about uh, companies as they scale and especially teams as they scale is just the amount of things going on and being able to stay in the loop and, um, you know, uh, seeing, seeing what everyone is making, I think gets a little tough. So we just try and, and we're always trying to iterate on that. Do you, I listened to, um, while I was preparing for this, I listened to an interview that you did with um, on the through process podcast that was uh, about two years ago. And mm-hmm. you were talking about, um, it was actually interesting to listen to it now because it, it, it covered a lot of themes that this podcast covers, but you were talking about kind of a desire for a deeper design discourse and, and for the design field or the design industry to um, kind of be more thoughtful in how they talk about their work. Do you think that tech companies especially um and just the scale and that they're often creating tools that designers are using have is there do you think there's like a responsibility or a a a drive for for these companies to be leading that discourse or to be contributing in that discourse in some way not just internally on their teams like like you were just talking about but then also to somehow turn that outward that's a good one. I responsibility is a, a tough one. Uh, I think it it sort of 
presupposes uh, what a certain job might be, actually. Um, mm. My personal opinion is, is that I, I wish more of that dialogue was going on, and, and I would say, like, yes to all of those things. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's happened um, in sort of the design discourse in general is that designers have lost control of it. Mm. They've lost complete control of it. I remember seeing an article, I don't, I don't remember how old it was, but it was on Fast Company and it was a, around the same issue. It's like, ha have designers lost, you know, uh, lost the discourse of design or something? And I was like, wow, for a Fast Company to be saying this, <laughs> like that's like a, yeah. I don't know, like a thief stealing your watch and then asking you what time it is. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think it's, uh, right. because with these larger companies, there are, you know, uh, there's people in PR, there's other, there's way more on the line yeah. than talking about what French philosopher thought about, uh, my use of the grid system in this, in this instance, <laughs> you know, it is, it, it means so much more. Yeah. And, and I've, I have a wish to sort of see those things like kind of marry together in a way, uh, yeah. because I feel like one, one stays in its academic realm and never sort of comes out to the other side. And the other side has uh, like almost only like commercial intents in a way. You know, I, I see the whole sort of design tools uh, birth or rebirth that's going on. Like the next phase of uh, this this story around the designer as author, mm -hmm. which you know, sort of the I guess that's early two thousands coming through. You know, and it's like, oh, the, the designer uh, has all of this capabilities, and now we're morphing into we also have these capabilities to design the tools of design. Right. right. Um, and that is, you know, that is maturing and, and there's also a greater focus on like, oh my goodness, like there's a thing uh, called design management. What does that mean? You, know? <laughs> you mean it's not just a, a creative director telling me to move things around? Um, and so right. I, I think that there's like so much going on, uh, and design at the moment is just, it's so many things and it's so splintered, um, uh, that uh, it's it's tough to sort of come down with like one hard answer. I can wish all I want, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, I I think you're exactly right. And the reason that I ask the question is because I'm thinking about my own students, and whenever I talk to them about internships or where they want to work after they graduate or or something like that, it's always these product shops. Now that's <laughs> that's what kids want to do now. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about that kind of intersection between kind of product design or, um, you know, these kind of in-house tech design jobs versus academia and where that intersection could happen or is there overlap or how could they, could they overlap? And I know, I know this is a big question and I know you said, you know, that you can kind of wish all you want, but as someone who, who kind of comes from a rigorous uh, educational background and works in tech, do you see intersections in your own work or do you see kind of an overlap between those? I try to practice it in that way, I'd <laughs> yeah. say. Um, yeah. You know, both both as, a, as an educator, but also as someone working in-house. I, I think another thing that I don't often see is someone that does both of those things. Right. Uh, I believe that most of my professors, I'm almost certain that all of them were uh, either running their own studio or had a, a practice of one. Um, right. and I, and I think that, that there is a hunger. Um, it's really on 
the designers and the design leaders in that organization to support that way of thinking uh, in the same way that, that they now know that that design can impact business. I, I think we're starting to see that there's a, right. yeah. a greater need for uh, you know, thinking more critically, uh, you know, I don't want to say like ethics, but you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of those things that, that I, I think, uh, need to be more rigorously thought through. And, and as you mentioned, like it is tough, like there is speed. There is also, these are very new technologies. And so knowing all of the answers right. to it is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, they are also things that have no, almost have no sort of physical shape to them, you know? Uh, And so there's, there's, it's almost like an essence out in the world. Um, Whereas, you know, you can design a thing and it can break and uh, injure someone, but then you can see, okay, that's where it broke. That's what we need to fix. Um, You probably could have foreseen some of that, but there's, I feel like there's just so much stuff going on that it's, it's hard to see uh, further than a few months down the line. Yeah. And it's almost hard. It's almost hard. You just to even take that a step further, it's it's hard to even talk about a coherent design discourse anymore at all because there this is all splintered into, like you said, product design and, and kind of traditional graphic design and design management, and strategic design, and and all of this. That um, maybe it's okay that if that all of those have their own discourse. I don't know. I haven't thought about that until till right now. But that kind of unified, actually. Uh, when I talked to Jeffrey Keaty, he, he mentioned this, that he thinks graphic, the term graphic design is actually a, a 20th century term that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, and that all of these things we're doing are some new thing. And so maybe this idea of a, of a singular design discourse isn't even kind of possible in that way that it once was. I think so. I mean, part of it, you could, you could think about it as just the sheer volume of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if, if you, cause you talk about design discourse as it once was, well, like, right. okay, when, when was that time? Right. You know? right. And, and right. I think having listened to the podcast, I think I know when you mean, you, you mean sort of the emigre era. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and that unto itself was like the design community was a certain size of people. Um, they were all doing a certain amount of things and now that size is, you know, 10 X and the kinds of things they're doing are also 10 X. Right. I, I would agree with you that, that I think that the, the niche mentality is, is probably where it's at, like focusing on those on those singular areas uh and getting the and getting that discourse to something yeah, yeah and then you can talk about sort of bringing it together it's almost like um like a design congress in a way <laughs> right right yeah i love that <laughs> i, I want to talk about this from the from a from the other angle now because you also teach um how did you 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 mentioned earlier that you had always been interested in teaching how did you where'd that interest come from and how'd you get started the interest, I believe, came from honestly having great teachers and, yeah, yeah. you know, seeing that and also always wanting to, I, I felt like teaching was sort of a something that represented that you were doing a decent job at design, <laughs> um, yeah. but also that, that it was a, a way of giving back to it and shaping the future of design. Um, mm-hmm. And... I think as a studio mate, uh, I, I really enjoyed that dialogue and like being there for your fellow students. Yeah. Um, 
And so I, I sort of carried that with me and, and knew that it was a thing I wanted to do. And I was, uh, again, really fortunate in working with Christopher because he was doing the things that I wanted to do. He was writing, uh, he was running his own studio, which not necessarily something I wanted to do, but and he was also teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I was lucky in that when he was teaching, sometimes I could come in for critique. And over the course of quite a few years, I was quite often at CCA. I sort of joke that it's it's more of my second school <laughs> than anything else because I would also, you know, walk into lectures that were free because I knew that they were going on and most people didn't. And so yeah, I became a presence and slowly made it known um, and got lucky one year. Uh, Cynthia Wen, the, the head of the department at the time, asked me to come in and uh, teach GD3, which was uh, at the time being taught with Eric Hyman, who runs oh, yeah. Um yeah. And yeah, it, it started from there. Um, and I've been really happy and fortunate that I've uh, been able to keep it up and that I've been working with people that have uh, accepted that of me and, and been actually really, uh, um, you know, they've fostered that. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Do you think, has, has that experience changed how you think think about design or how you think about your other work? Oh, absolutely. I think it goes both ways. Um, My experience working in-house, especially in tech, has influenced the kind of educator I want to be. I I know I I don't sort of believe in this uh, almighty top-down, you know, this is the right way to do the thing. I I want to foster a sense of independence with my students and inquiry, like, like someone that's asked it's, I'd rather teach someone to to ask a really good question, Mm -hmm. uh, than, you know, know how to pick the right shade of blue or something. Right. Uh, Right. You know, it's just going to be that much more fruitful for them. You know, they might end up making work that looks a little strange and unrefined and and I think that maybe that sort of goes back to how I was I feel like how I was educated um, but yeah. I definitely know that it's it's uh, impacted that and then on the on the flip side of things I think uh, you know it it definitely impacts how I present work how I think about telling the story of a design to uh, different constituents, whether they be sort of in business or recruiting or, or other parts uh, of of an organization, um, you know, it's it's all about understanding what what their needs are and how do you translate what you're doing here into you know kind of a language or, or what 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 they need to see happening. Uh, and I think that that's a that's a huge skill. You don't just sort of make something and hand it over and be like, oh, they'll love it because they know what good design is and right. fantastic. Do you? I, I this is going to be a very kind of weird question, but um, I, I I think you're exactly right about that kind of th- this uh, the similarities between them and and kind of what you take from both. Do do you do they come? Do each of those sides come from diff- different parts of your brain, or does this all seem like the same thing to you now? You know what I mean? Like when you go and you're working think, on a design team and then you go and run a class, is that, does that I'm, feel different? It's different only in the context and the sort of what I feel like I, I, I need to get done and what my role is in that situation. But there's, 
it's all coming from one one brain. Uh, I don't sort of turn one thing off and turn the other thing off. Um, right. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's all me. I, I, I have a question that I've been asking everybody that I've had on the podcast recently who teaches asking them this question because this is something that I've realized in the last couple of months in my own teaching practice in, and I think we're very similar in that we had this interest in building this career that had design and writing and teaching and kind of all of these things fitting together. And I found that the classroom is the place where all of those things actually come together uh, the clearest. Uh, it's in the act of teaching, in the act of uh, being with students, it involves criticism. It involves design and kind of art direction and inquiry and writing and uh all of these things really fit together in a very seamless way is that does that match your experience i would i would agree with that uh i don't think i would say seamlessly okay, okay. <laughs> i think i think it to me it's a it's a little uh it's a little bit more trying like the the class that i teach uh is more about sort of systems uh, mm -hmm. design. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the the quick metaphor that I use for the students is like, it's kind of like when you put together a, a table and you have to put all the legs on, but you sort of have to like tighten one leg before you tighten all of them really down tight so that right, the thing is right. sort of level in the right way. And so that sort of back and forth between like, oh no, we need to change this thing over here so that it evens out over there is sort of more how I would describe that. But I, I totally agree with you besides besides that. Yeah, and I would maybe seamlessly makes it sound like it's <laughs> too easy. Maybe I should say that if these were, uh, these were this was like a Venn diagram, the, yeah. the intersecting point is bigger than any of the other contexts of where I'm doing these things. Uh, I don't mean, I didn't mean to, to say that it's just this kind of easy thing where everything comes together. No, I know what you mean, but yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it is. It is that nice Venn diagram of all those things coming together. I agree. Are you, are you doing much writing uh, anymore? I know you mentioned earlier that you're not doing as much as you want. How does it kind of fit into, to your work now? Yeah, the honest, sad truth is it doesn't really well. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, I, I think that the majority of my writing has actually taken place in terms of lectures uh, yeah. or some sort of talk I've given. Um, so there's that. Um, I was previously working on a, a book proposal, mm. um, uh, and I don't I don't necessarily think that it's uh, it's going to go that far. But like. It comes up in a variety of things like that. Um, there's a lot of writing for me in, in teaching the class, actually. I'm right. fairly robust in my feedback for my students. Um, I've been trying to finish a sort of second version of this side project that I gave a talk at at the Type Directors Club around uh, like graffiti and, um, oh, interesting. And, and design, essentially. Um, and so that is still sort of on the books. Hopefully I could get that out this year. Um, oh, nice. my answer is like not as much as I wish I did. And, uh, that's something that's still been difficult for me to crack. I think I really have to sort of drop something else to be able to pick that up. Yeah. What would you, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm curious, uh, <laughs> what kind of, I'm going to ask this in two, two ways, both kind of historically and then presently when you were interested in in this kind of career that included these things, what kind of writing were you interested in doing? 
Um, and then now, you know, if you had that time or if you were able to carve out space for that, what are the, the types of things you'd be interested in uh, writing about or thinking about? Yeah, I, some of the, like, uh, the earliest design writing, uh, I think that, uh, that really had an impact on me was, um, like the looking closer series. Um, but, uh, more so even before that, uh, a book called chasing the perfect by Natalia Illen. She came and did, uh, like a, uh, like a week long workshop at RISD and it was, uh, it was fantastic. Um, and I remember picking up her book like immediately after that. Yeah. So it's, it's books like those or, um, David Berenger. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember what was his book. It's something about like, there's nothing funny about graphic design or yeah, he has something he, sort of cheeky. You yeah, know, he has that one. There's nothing funny about graphic design. And then he did that full, uh, immigrate gave him like a full issue. American dog. Is yeah. That the one? Yeah. It's yeah. like a, American mutt barks in the dog barks in the yard or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's great. Yeah. So those were sort of the earlier ones. Um, and then, you know, it's, there's so much of it now, but like, I, I love Roman Mars and what he's been doing okay. with the podcasts. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's something around that area of, um, just looking at the world uh, and asking these questions. Um, I, I feel like it's just, so accepted now I, I that kind of leads perfectly into my next question actually uh, and this is a question that i ask everybody so so you probably know this is coming um what are, are do you what are the issues or topics that you think designers should be talking about or writing about and thinking about today what are the kind of issues facing practice or the profession or the industry mm-hmm. I think the biggest issue right now is uh, diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've heard other uh, guests talk about that enough. And I know that my design history was basically a bunch of old white dudes. Yeah. Um, and we've got to get past that. Yeah. Um, and it's going to take some time. But like that is like, in my eyes, like that is the number one thing that people are not brushing over, but it's not getting enough of its due. Yeah, um, especially yeah. with all of these tools and how far reaching design is now. Uh, it, we really need to elevate it. Like, I, I think part of it is just also just looking at society. Like what are the things going on in society? Like design is uh, a part of that. And, and, yeah. and, and so I would agree that, that, that this matches up pretty well with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that completely. And it's something it's something that I think about a lot, especially just in regards to the podcast and it it comes up occasionally and it's something that's on my mind a lot. Um, uh, but yeah, I agree. It's not, it's not nearly, uh, have the, has the focus that I think it it should have. I would also just to add one more thing to that is that we had, uh, someone visit, uh, at Pinterest out here from the Lou Ballin center. Oh yeah. Um, and, they were, you know, sort of giving a, a history lesson on on three designers, and one of the things that that really hit home for me was how do we look at design history in um with more of an uh, inquisitive lens? How do we interrogate history and ask like why something operated that way or or how yeah. it came how it came to that? Because I feel like now we're starting to uncover, you know, all of these other people that were helping 
uh, or were in the background or actually did the work of some of these, you know, design heroes or, or people in design that we learn from. And I, I think that like that as a skill uh, to be more inquisitive would yeah. be enormous. And I think I think that would sort of, you know, have a good trickle down effect. Yeah. Do you, did you happen? Do you know Silas Monroe? Yeah. Um, he, he's actually uh, I just talk to him too he's the episode he'll be the episode right before this one um and we talked about that exact same thing actually and how some of the research he's been doing has completely changed how he thinks about design history and that there's all these strands of design history that have just largely been forgotten um and and how do we kind of bring that back into the canon or into what we consider design history i think it's it's so important and 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 fascinating my last question we kind of you kind of talked about this already but i want to kind of go right into the middle of it i'm curious who are the kind of designers or the writers or or the books that have really shaped how you think about all of this and you know how you think about teaching how you approach your work these ideas around history are there people that you know, if you were kind of giving a reading list, you'd, you'd say are, are must reads. Yeah, it would be a pretty extensive list. <laughs> okay. uh, and so instead of rattling, uh, rattling that off, uh, I want to give just sort of one recommendation instead. Okay. Yeah, go for uh, it. I love that. It's uh, Neil Postman, I'm oh, uh, using yeah. ourselves to death. Yes. Um, it's like uh, it's it's one of it's one of a few books that I have uh, read or even listened to more than once. Yes, um, I'm a I'm a big fan of Brave New World, uh, but uh, you know in, in which he goes into on that. But he just touches on so many other things. Um, he touches on McLuhan in there. Mm -hmm. um, it is uh, I feel like it was maybe in the 80s. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's early 80s. You know, uh, and so I would I would say like that, just like. Focus on that, uh, and if you get through that, I would say that the the next book is um, uh, almost any of the books by uh, Edward de Bono. Um, oh yeah, is I think one of his famous ones was Thinking Course, but this was another one that uh, John Bielenberg introduced me to, and like the idea that your brain is a muscle that you need to work out and you can change. Uh, I was like, well, wait, what? Um, oh, yeah. and so, uh, that work was, was definitely something, but, you know, I, I feel like I, I get so much inspiration from so many people and I've been really privileged to go to the schools I went to and, and lucky to work with the people I have, like all of those people have influenced me in some way. That's great. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm a, obviously, you know, we're friends, but I'm a big fan of your work and how you think about these things and, and just kind of think that you're, you know, largely doing it right. And so I'm just glad that we finally got to have one of these conversations uh, for the podcast. And so thank you so much. This was, this was so fun. Thank you. The feeling is 110% mutual. This episode was recorded on March 27th, 2018. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.